This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn on this uh, July 3rd, 2019. Last night, July 2nd, I had a chance to catch Brian Adams at the Bell Centre in Montreal as part of the Montreal International Jazz Festival. And of course, the Bell Centre was sold out. About 18,000 folks came to see Brian and, you know, it's fantastic. Every single Brian Adams show I have seen over the years has been fantastic. And this year, 2019, I will have seen four Brian Adams shows. I've seen two in Montreal. I'm going to see one later on with Billy Idol on um, August 1st in Guilford, New Hampshire, and then August 6th in Syracuse on the uh, eight-show tour. The, uh, the, the Billy Idol and Brian Adams tour is eight shows. I mean, that is that is unbelievable. I love it. I'm going to go see two of them. But that should be an 80-show tour. I mean, that 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 pairing, come on. I mean, if this was 1985 or 1986 and you said Brian Adams and, and Billy Idol were touring together, that is a an arena run, maybe even a stadium run back in those days. Anyway, um, before the show, I had a chance to catch up with drummer Mickey Curry, and he, of course, started his career well, he started his career before Hall & Oates, but for for a while he was Hall & Oates' drummer. He played on the H2O album, on um, uh, Private Eyes, and he then decided to go sort of work with The Rookie, with, with Brian Adams, and they did a couple of albums, started off doing some reckless stuff, and then, whoops, Hall & Oates came beckoning and he went off. But pretty much since 1987, 1988, he has been known as Brian Adams' drummer. And he is absolutely, absolutely terrific. And a lot of musicians have called him in for studio work, including The Cult and Alice Cooper. And the thing about talking to him on July 2nd, 2019, it just turned out that we happened to be celebrating a couple of things. On July 2nd, 1991... Alice Cooper released the album Hey Stupid that Mickey plays on, and uh, on July 2nd, well, in fact, not, 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 not celebrating, but on July 2nd, 2019, The Cult announced a deluxe edition Sonic Temple release that is going to be five CDs, which includes a lot of the demos and a lot of the uh, live versions and, and acoustic versions and different things, and of course, Mickey played on that. Now, Two other drummers had played on them, one of them being Eric Singer of KISS. And in the interview with uh, Billy Duffy that I did a couple of weeks ago, which you should go check out, by by the way, he mentioned that uh, that uh, Eric and, and the other drummer were great. No, no complaints. They played fantastic. But yet there was just something um, that the producer, Bob Rock, wanted in a performance, in a drum performance, and he just wasn't getting it. And, and so they went and got Mickey, and he provided that, and I'm going to just call it swing for the lack of a better word, and all of a sudden Sonic Temple became, you know, a temple. It it, it just, it, it became the album that everybody knows and, and loves. Anyway, so before this show, and I have to say, the... Um, the the choice of bands this year for the Montreal Jazz Festival or the Montreal International Jazz Festival have been uh, exquisite. They they had heavy metal band Voivod do 
a five-piece uh, brass quintet or a, or a, a brass quintet thing, which which was uh, delightful. Uh, they have Alan Parsons. They've got Peter Frampton on his farewell tour, and then they had Brian and and. That is just that is fascinating, and of course they're using all the venues in in Montreal. So if you haven't come up, do come up for that. But uh, anyway, let let us get over to 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 Mickey Curry. We sat backstage at the uh, Bell Center in the uh, Montreal Canadiens press room because why not? Uh, as I was wearing a St. Louis Blues shirt, and uh, no, I'm not a bandwagon jumper. The, the, the shirt's about ten years old. Um. But, uh, yeah, I, I brought the uh, Stanley Cup winning St. Louis Blues shirt to the franchise that has the most Stanley Cups in the history of the NHL. Uh, no, sorry, Toronto, it's not you. Uh, in fact, how many do, does Toronto have? Like two? <laughs> but none since I've been born. So uh, I kid you, Toronto fans, I love you. Anyway, uh, without further ado, uh, from the Montreal Canadiens press room, it is the one, the only, drummer extraordinaire, and I mean it, drummer extraordinaire, Mickey Curry. We are uh, speaking with uh, Mickey Curry, drummer for Brian Adams and has been for many, many years. And of course, uh, he's been on many other albums by uh, Hall & Oates, The Cult, um, Alice Cooper, among those. Uh, so let's, let's, let's start off with playing with Brian. You, you start off with Hall & Oates. You play on Private Eyes, you play on H2O, you have all these very successful albums, and then you go sort of play drums on the Rookies album, The New Kid. Talk to me about that that decision and how did you get there and, and what was inspiring about Brian that you said, okay, I'll go give this a shot. Um, well, to be honest, the, the, the first record I did with Brian, the You Want It, You Got It record, was recorded a couple of weeks after... The Private Eyes record. I was, I was at Electric Lady working with Hall & Oates uh, on Private Eyes. And the day I tracked Private Eyes, Bob Clearmountain called me at the studio and said, I've got this guy from Canada I'm going to work with, and I'd love you to play drums on it. So we set that up. And, uh, I mean, it was literally within the same month. Right. Uh, I was working with Hall & Oates and Brian Adams. So uh, the decision to sort of stick with Hall & Oates and hit the road with them, whatever, uh, you know, to become sort of a band member was Daryl just asked during those sessions if I'd be interested in touring. So, of course, you know, it was a big deal. And, yeah, uh, Brian was, um, you know, we spent a few days recording and it was a blast. We had a great time at the power station and I knew... Uh, that I, you know, hopefully I'd be able to work with him again on his next project or whatever. But, um, you know, I had committed to, to Daryl and John, to Hall and Oates, and, um, you know, I couldn't really uh, take a, a full-time gig like that with Brian. So, But I did start working all at the same time. It was March, I think, of uh, 81, something like that. And, you know, fortunately, Hall and Oates would be off the road, Brian would be recording. I'd be able to go work with him on, um, you know, subsequent records, and uh, it all worked. It, it all worked out like that. Great. It, it really did. So, yeah. so, so, talk to me about what was it about Brian's music that attracted you and said, "Okay, I want to stick with this guy." Because again, the success with Hall and Oates, 
you could have just taken those six months off and just gone on vacation. You didn't need to go and what was it about? Could you see that yeah, this guy's special? He he can write a song. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, just the the uh, he had that. He first of all, he's got an amazing voice and uh, that great sort of rock voice, and I love that. Uh, and I would be working with Clear Mountain again, which you know to me was heaven because he just knew how to get a drum sound, a great drum sound. And, you know, he made those records sound the way they sounded. The songwriting was fantastic, you know, with Jim, Valance, and Brian writing all those great songs. And um, it was kind of how I wanted to sound. You know, we'd listen to those tracks, and, and uh, I thought, this is a great, this is a great drum sound. You know, they take sort of mediocre drum tracks and really make them sound fantastic. So, you know, that was a tribute to Bob. Um... But yeah, there was definitely something special about Brian, and uh, you know, I knew I knew I'd be working with him over the years. Um, I just, you know, I had committed to Hall and Oates, and those records and playing with those guys is such a big deal for me as well. Um, you know, the R and B thing, which was always kind of my comfort zone, you know, mm-hmm. and um, just being out there uh, doing those shows. We were touring all the time, and. Uh, Recording, we were always at Electric Lady, which is one of my favorite studios ever. It was exciting to be there, but um, you know, it was kind of, always kind of a uh, it was a tough thing to not be able to go work with Brian full time for me for a long time. You know, so yeah. yeah. So, so talk to me about the the process of putting the songs together because Jim Valance, when he puts the the demos together, he's a drummer. Was a drummer with Prism came in with a lot of the songs already done with the drums. Were you told, you know, imitate what Jim's done, or were you told, go do whatever you do? How, how did, let me put it, what was your creative input to the song-making process? Yeah. Um, my, my, it was kind of somewhere in between those two things. Jim's demos were so good. His drum tracks are so great. He's one of my favorite guys, and I learned so much by sort of, following uh, his demos and his parts, drum parts. So there were key things on some of those songs, I think, that uh, they wanted to keep, some of the sort of fills and some of the feels. And uh, so, you know, each song was a very individual thing, and we would track, and I would, you know, we'd listen to the demos, and I would play sort of along to... uh, what Jim had on there. Some of the stuff, some of the fills I kept, some of the, um, you know, some of the grooves were uh, very similar. But at the same time, you know, uh, I sort of have the way I play. Uh, There's a, you know, whatever it is for me to be comfortable with the track and, you know, get through the song. Um, So a lot of that was, you know, also in there. You know, you you can't help it. You play the way you play. And, uh, you know, fortunately, um, sort of that combination of things worked out really good. I don't, I, I can't give you any specifics. I know there were some drum fills um, on some of the song, early songs uh, on the "You Want It, You Got It" record. Um, I, I re- specifically remember uh, Jim would be on the phone and go, and he'd say, um, "I'd really like to keep that fill, you know, going into the <laughs> the bridge or going into the guitar solo or." You know, um, so little things like that. And then, uh, but uh, for the most part, it was 
pretty much me playing uh, where I was comfortable in the song and uh, referencing Jim's demo stuff. So now I know we're going to run out of time, so I yeah. want to get some of the other <laughs> stuff. But but before I start moving along, mm-hmm. um, Brian Adams on "Cuts Like a Knife." Yeah, a lot of people don't know that Lou Graham of Foreigner yeah. is on the album now. At the time, Lou Graham and Foreigner were it. They, they dominated radio, they dominated much music, MTV. Well, not much music, but MTV. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that story. And, and did you get a chance to work with Lou? Did, how did he sort of end up on Cuts Like a Knife? Uh, I'm not sure how Lou ended up on Cuts Like a Knife. I know that they... Uh, I know Brian uh, had toured with Foreigner. So they probably became friends on that. I do remember that there was a day... Lou came in and we were all going to sing some gang vocals and we were all about, you know, six inches, maybe a foot from the mic. (laughs) And Lou was about six feet away. (laughs) And he was saying, and we, we were all just sort of, you know, you just dumbstruck, gobsmacked this, this, he was fantastic, man. He's one of my favorite singers of all time. Oh, he's he's the definition of rock. Absolutely, singer. I think so. And uh, and he was so sweet and so nice. And uh, yeah, we I th- I can't remember the song we were doing it on, but we we were all just yelling these vocals, and he was singing this stuff from a mile away, cutting through everyone. It was really really impressive, and um, it was really fun. And that's a gra- I, that that I have a very sort of specific memory of that happening in in. Um, that was at the power station. Fantastic. But I love Lou, and uh, I think he's he's amazing. Definitely the legend deserves to be. You know? D- deserves to be. So now we're, we're recording this on July 2nd, 2019. Mm-hmm. July 2nd, 1991, Alice Cooper puts out Hey Stupid. But before I get to that, mm-hmm. The Cult today have announced a deluxe reissue of Sonic Temple. Five CDs, all the demos and all that. Um, talk to me about your participation on that, because they used two drummers before, one of them being Eric Singer Kiss, and Billy Duffy in an interview with me said, well, you know, they were great, but they, there was, it just, it wasn't there, and Mickey just, he had it. Uh, talk to me about coming into those sessions and listening to those tapes and, and saying, okay, this is what I hear, and playing on that. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, I love Billy, and I love Ian, and I loved working on those records. Uh, it was it was a blast. We really had fun. Billy's really fun to work with, and he's an amazingly good guitar player and songwriter. And he's really gifted, and um, he knows what he wants to hear. And you know, he's got a very uh, sort of um, he, he's got a great great ears for for stuff. Anyway, uh, Bob Rock called about that record, the first one, um, Sonic Temple, and. Um, asked if I'd come in and play and I thought this will be great uh, I was a fan of the cult you know I love their records and um, so the, the I think we listened to a few of the demos songs and we were gonna uh, Bob liked to sort of rehearse the songs and, and run things down before we actually started recording so uh, we would spend time just sort of playing through I remember a couple of the demos thinking these are fantastic I don't know what they don't hear that they want to hear but once Bob gets his hands on a drum sound uh, it changes everything and he's so good at the big rock drum sound big open sound and he's he knows exactly what he wants to hear and um, 
he's 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 amazing. He's got such great ears, and uh, so he had a final. I think he had in his head a final sort of version of each song. Um, you know what what he wanted it to sound like, and um, that's what we did. We would just go in, and uh, Jamie played bass. He was fantastic, and um, uh, Billy on guitar. And you know, Ian was was a trooper man. He'd sing through every take, and uh, I remember specifically remember doing Firewoman and um, thinking this this is it's it's the, a big rock song with a very sort of R and B feel. feel. Yeah, and uh, Bob loved that, so uh, we sort of went on that approach for a lot of those tracks, and. Um, you know, that was right in sort of my wheelhouse, that sort of four-on-the-floor thing. Uh, you know, simple and, and basic. And But it's all Bob. It, it was all Bob. The drum sound was all Bob. Sort of the ideas for where we went with the tracks was all Bob. And uh, he made a great cult record, you know. Um, I, I thought it was fantastic. I still, I hear Firewoman comes on the radio in my car. I cannot believe how good it sounds and what a great song it is. So... You know, that was, um, those were really fun sessions, you know? Yeah. And Ceremony as well, you know, with Richie Zito and uh, Charlie Drayton, who's my hero. He's a great drummer, but he's a great bass player as well. So doing those tracks was really fun, too. Let, let me ask you about working with different producers. I had a friend of mine who interviewed Brian here in January, and, and he mentioned Mutt Lang and Bob Clearmountain, mm-hmm. and Brian's answer was, ah, the A-team. Uh, right? Yeah. Talk to me about what Mutt brings to a session and what Bob brings to a session because they both their success is undeniable from Metallica to Def Leppard to whatever mm-hmm. to Shania Twain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, as a musician who's had to, and I don't want to not, not endure, but had to yeah. work with them, I guess, what do they bring that's different to each project and, and why are they so successful? Uh, well, Bob, I'll start with Bob, I guess. But Bob's got great ears and uh. He gets great sounds, and he's got great ideas for tracks. And things are very simple with Bob, you know. Um, so I wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for Bob Clearmountain. He, he made the drums, for me, and the way I play, the drum sounds, the, the, way, the way those tracks sound, in your car or on your turntable or whatever, uh, I've they're the best drum sounds for me and especially for the way I play he, he really sort of honed in on that and I, I love that about Bob um, and he's fun to work with and he's easy to work with there's no pressure with him you just go play and he's happy with everything you do Mutt Lang um, I had nightmares about uh, when I be, before I started working with Mutt I was I was freaking out because you hear these horror stories about drummers going into work with Mutt, and um, three days later, they have a hi-hat track. <laughs> yeah, I heard for that. For one song, right? Uh, so I was really nervous about working with Mutt. But uh, we went, we were in Jamaica. They, uh, Brian was working on um, Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman? Mm-hmm. So I flew to Jamaica to do the track, do a couple of tracks, but that was the song we were focused on. And Paco De Lucia was there, and he was there for a couple of days playing guitar. And... Um, they got all these great guitar tracks for him. And I'm sitting outside listening to the track thinking, this is going to take me 
if Paco de Lucia takes three days to get a guitar track, it's going to take me two weeks to get a drum track. <laughs> and so I, I went in. We had the drums set up upstairs in the house, and the control room was sort of downstairs in the living room. We were looking, watching each other via um, uh, camera, you know, little um, screens and cameras. So, uh, okay, roll the track. So Mutt says, okay, here we go. So we roll the track, and I start playing. And I'm thinking immediately, this is, this is just going to take forever. But I'll play. I'm playing. This is my job. This is what I do. <laughs> so uh, I played the track, and we finished the song, and there was dead silence for a few seconds. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go. We're going to start with a hi-hat, you know. And I hear Mutt say, yeah, Mickey, man, I think you got it. So, of course, I thought he was joking. Too much Jamaican yeah. rum. I went, okay. <laughs> All right, so what do you want to do? He goes, no, man, you got it. I, th I think it's good. Come on down. So I came downstairs, we listened to it, and he said, I need a little something here. And it was something on the outro or something, so a fill or something. So I went back upstairs, I played this little thing, <laughs> a fill or something, and that was it, we were done. So I was literally done with the song in however long the song is. That's how long it took to get the drum track. And from that day forward, every track I played with Mutt Lang, we never did more than two takes wow. of anything. Wow. And I, Guys in Def Leppard are very jealous of well, this Well, <laughs> first of all, I love Mutt, and I love the way he works. I just thought, I really thought it was going to be, uh, you know, these sort of long, drawn-out sort of sessions. He doesn't work that way. I think when he hears what he needs to hear from you and gets the thing he needs to layer all that stuff on top of, because he's amazingly good at layering and, and, you know, coming up with these incredible parts and, and these sort of sounds and uh, the vibe he gets is incredible. Uh, you know, um, I, I love working with Mutt, and I still would love to work more with Mutt. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about it you know, him in the studio and how much fun he is to, to work with. But he just, he liked everything I played, which, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know why, I don't know how, but that's how it worked with Mutt. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of those tracks. Yeah. Those drum tracks are great. And, uh, you know, it's a tribute to him and how he works. You know, I was just fortunate enough to be able to do it, you know, quickly and, um, you know, without too much, uh, pain for everyone involved <laughs> but um yeah so i don't know if there's a difference between the two guys they, they they definitely have different approaches to how they work but the results are the same they're both very successful and they get great they get great tracks they record great songs and uh you know the final product any bob clear mountain mix is ridiculous you listen to any mutt lang song and you just can't believe how good it is you know so uh you know they're they're both great in their own yeah, they, they 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 know they know how to polish up a track. Um, yeah. Let me let me go back to 1985 and Reckless. Reckless comes out. You played a little bit on it. Yeah. Um, Pat Stewart plays a little bit yeah, on it. it. Great. Perhaps Jim Valens plays on it, maybe. Yeah. Um, but you don't do the tour. I see the tour, and it's Pat Stewart. Was that a personal decision because of stuff going on at home? Was it a professional decision because of Hall & Notes? Why? Here's the big breakout album, yeah. 
and you're not on the breakout tour. No, I was still working with Daryl and John, and you know we were really busy. And uh, I remember we, Brian and I had this conversation a, a couple of times. You know, like Mick, we'd love to have you come out, and I kept saying I would love to do that, but I've committed. I'm committed here. You know, I have. Uh, you know, we, and we were really busy. Hollow Notes was just on fire from '81 to '87. Mm-hmm. You know, we yeah. we were just out there between touring and recording you know I was never home and uh, and I was just really busy so I would love to have gone and played with Brian live I just couldn't do it I couldn't commit to that you know and who knew that that record would be I mean I, I loved playing on Reckless and the, the tracks that I'm on uh, it was really fun and um, you know I loved going to Little Mountain and recording there it's one of my favorite studios uh, but I just could not commit full time to him you know, right. as much as I would have liked to have done that you know ultimately you became Brian's drummer though yeah. right from um, Into the Fire and Waking Up the Neighbors and, and 2019 you're here what was the turning point or where did you say you know what I'm going to go with the kid yeah. that, that Canadian kid's pretty good I'm going to stick with him yeah. where, where did that come into play uh, well Daryl Daryl, uh, in 1986, uh, or it might have been 87, I'm not sure, Daryl uh, was going to go record a solo record. So Hall & Oates was sort of done for a while. And uh, I had a conversation with their manager about, um, you know, sort of what the future was. So he said, uh, you know, if there's other stuff you want to do, if there are other things, just keep me, keep me informed as to what you're doing. But, uh, you know, when Daryl's ready... Uh, you know, we'll probably get back together and do something. So I had some time. And Brian called about uh, the End of the Fire recordings, and he said, you know, I've got um, these songs, and Pat's played on some stuff, and, uh, you know, maybe you want to come up to Vancouver and do some work. We're recording at, at my house. So we recorded at his house in Vancouver. Um, that was in the fall, I think, of 87. And I love that record. End of the Fire was so much fun. It's, my, it's probably my favorite Adams record, and... Um, you know, um, during the, the sessions, during the recording, uh, he said, look, if you're, if you're really not doing anything, I would love for you to come back, back out and do the tour and, you know, we'll take it from there. So I said, sure, you know, because uh, now I had the time and I also had, the, you know, the, uh, I needed a job, obviously. Uh, there were, I was doing a lot of session work, but it wasn't really sort of doing it uh, for me. And it was, here's my chance to work with Brian full-time, you know? So I was all excited. We were all excited about that. And uh, that, that's what happened. So that was late 87. And uh, I sort of committed, and I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> and he still has me. That's what, what <laughs> he still calls me, is my point, you know, which is nice. So uh, well, I mean, we in a sense, being Brian Adams, he could call anybody he wants. Yeah. And he could go do solo albums and have four different guys. Yeah. So... It is a testament to your skill, and but also I think his loyalty. Because yeah. why change? You know, if it yeah, ain't broke. There's definitely a loyalty thing there too. Also, uh, you know, I've been on all of his records since since you want it, you got it. Uh, pretty much, you know. Uh, I mean, I've been sort of the guy that shows up and does a lot of the tracking and a lot of the. So, uh, you know, I always saw, thought of myself as sort of you know um, Brian's guy when he needs, you know, the go-to guy or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good feeling. 
to be able to say that, you know, that, um, that I get to work with him like I do, you know, and that he calls and, and, uh, has that sort of faith in me to come out and give him what he needs to hear back there behind him. So, um, yeah, that's good. And and it's nice to see that he's still an active music maker, you know, shine a light's a great album and it's a great tour. Uh, but we did allude to the Alice Cooper album, Hey mm-hmm. Stupid. Yeah. A lot of great players on that. Mm-hmm. We've got Slash that shows up on it, Yui McDonald from Bon Jovi, who's just phenomenal. And uh, He's my favorite guy. You know, I love you. I love um, him to death. He's fantastic. Hugh McDonald is... is I love him. And we've, we've done a few records together, and uh, I can't say enough nice things about him and his playing. He's a yeah. great guy. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. But yeah, but that's great. No, but 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 talk to me about that because there was that sort of period in eighty nine, ninety, ninety one where you were doing a little bit of session work. Yeah. Um, talk to me about working with Alice and and what he brings. Because he's a very different vocalist, a very different vocal style, certainly different than what Hall and Oates is doing or what yeah. Brian's doing. But one of the greatest. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about that experience. Well, Alice, you know, I, I was nervous about that. Uh, we did that up at Bearsville in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. and um, Famous studio. Yeah. So I went up. We rehearsed for a few days, and then we started tracking. And I- I've never met a funnier, nicer, sort of... Uh, normal guy. Normal guy. Thank you. Because it's exactly what he is. He was very sort of, uh, I don't know, self-deprecating. Um, <laughs> he, he was so much fun. We spent the day laughing. And, and every once in a while, we'd get a track done, you know. But we had so much fun working on that record. And um, how, how those tracks came out uh, like that, you know, with us laughing through them all. Um, I mean, we'd be tracking, literally, we'd be, we'd be tracking. And I, I'm laughing so hard, I, I'm falling off the drum kit. He was so much fun to work with. And, uh, and uh, I, I just, um, it's, it's one of the great, great, sort of 10 days of my life, you know, was working with Alice. I'll never forget it. And, um, you know, I'm really glad that record did as well as it did. And I got to work with him. It was a big, big, gigantic thrill for me to work with him. He's one of my heroes. Oh, really? Me me too. Now, I know you do have sound checks. I'll finish with this. Uh, Before the interview, I I wrote Jim Valens, and I said, hey, my next interview is is with Mickey. And he said in the email that you are the greatest drummer he has ever worked with so i'm not going to disagree but 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 how do you sort of look at it now you you know you have all the hollow note stuff and you played on private eyes and you and man eater and 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 you've done brian adams and and you know another day and, and remembrance day and all these great songs how do you sort of take stock of your career sort of what i guess almost 40 years in how, i mean how long have you been playing professionally since 78 79 yeah, I would say, so well, 40... 75, I started... Well, yeah, around 1975, I was in a band in Connecticut called The Scratch Band, and they, it was actually a paycheck every week. So, so yeah, yeah, professionally speaking. I was 15 when I did my first session. I got paid 25 bucks to do a bank commercial. <laughs> hey, my mother... We loaded, we loaded my Gretsch kid into my mother's Volkswagen. I don't know how we got <laughs> it up there. And we drove up to the studio, and she, she dropped me off and waited, waited the, the hour it was, and, the, you know... Right. Uh, That's anyway. what moms do, right? Yeah. So, yes, I've been playing a long time, uh, you know, and getting getting paid. But but to have <laughs> but to have somebody like Jim Valens say yeah. you're the greatest well, drummer he's yeah. ever worked well, with. Me I mean, you, I'm probably the only other drummer Jim Valens has worked with, so he can get away with saying that. 
<laughs> I love Jim Valance more than any anybody, and uh, he he's such a great drummer. I mean, he's his career is incredible, and mm -hmm. um, he taught me so much when I, you know, started working with him and Brian. Uh, the demo tracks are so, if you could hear this stuff, you'd, you'd know what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. His playing is so beautiful, and. Um, you know, simple and groovy, and uh, he he's got just an amazing feel, and um, you know I love that. But uh, he's a great guy on top of it. Yep. He's such a sweet guy. You know, he's 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 really really wonderful, and um, it's always great to see him and hang with him. And um, you know, I, I as far as you know the the, the uh, nice words from him. I have no idea what to say to that. I, I'm, I'm really lucky. I'm lucky. I got to work with all these great people over the years. I don't know how that happened. I wish I had the answer. I don't know. You know, you're just, you're lucky. The phone rings. Uh, you know, would you come and play drums on this? And yes. Say yes to everything and go do it. And, um, and do it well. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I, my, you don't want to be the weak link in the chain. You know, when you walk in the room, you don't want to be the guy that... I think so, Jeff Procaro said it, and Jim Keltner might have said it as well. I did an interview years ago with Modern Drummer Magazine, and they, and they asked me about that, what's your big fear? And I always said, my big fear is that I'm going to screw up a session. Like, I'm going to walk in and not be able to do it. So the girl that was uh, interviewing me, she started laughing, and I said, what's so funny? She said, well, Jim Keltner... Jeff Beccaro, and she named a bunch of these great drummers, and she said, they all say the same thing, that Jeff Beccaro said his big fear was that he's going to be in a session, and they're going to know that he doesn't know what he's doing. These, these are the guys that are going to know that I have no idea what I'm doing here, right? So that's kind of how you feel when you walk into a room full of great players, or any other players, you know. So yeah. anyway, so yeah, I, I don't know I don't know why I've had a career, but um, I love to play, and I'm really grateful that people call. Yeah, and I'll suggest this: you know, having interviewed a lot of rock stars, mm -hmm. all the really successful ones, your Alice Coopers, and they're just really nice, down yeah. to earth, and 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 I think not having an attitude and not being a you know an ass yeah. is sort of what propels you to being accepted by yeah. everybody. Yeah, I think it's true. Uh, I think more important than your playing is your sort of personality and how, how you come off mm -hmm. with other people, you know. Um, I've always tried to be, you know, kind, polite, uh, uh, you know, light. Um, Shine a light. Yeah, you don't, <laughs> exactly. You don't want to be the heavy guy in the room, and, you, you know, you don't want it dark and serious. And um, most of these people I've worked with are sort of the same... Uh, way with their approach to how they make records and what they do. You know, Alice Cooper being a perfect example. He's just funny, and it, nothing's that important. It's just, we're, let's have fun doing this, mm -hmm. and let's make a great record, and it's all okay. You know, everything's okay. So, yeah. uh, and and you, McDonald as well. I mean, everybody like that. They're just Huey's great. You, yeah, he's the best. Anyway, yeah, we are at thirty minutes. Okay. I know you have sound check. Yeah. I could go on forever. Me too. Thanks. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. All right. And, and as we say in Montreal, merci. Uh, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. 